This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Microsoft Teams is helping a bicycle company reinvent the way that they work. We make bicycles for everyday riders. Once the pandemic hit, we started doing virtual visits. All of a sudden, we could open up our showroom to customers around the world. Learn more at Microsoft.com slash Teams. Most Tuesdays are just Tuesdays, except at Buffalo Wild Wings, where Tuesdays are Wing Tuesdays. But now even Wing Tuesdays aren't just Wing Tuesdays, because Wing Tuesdays are half-price Wing Tuesdays, which means your boring Tuesday that became Wing Tuesday now costs you half as much. In case you're confused, we have half-price Wing Tuesdays. We do it for you. Buffalo Wild Wings. Wings. Beer. Sports. Prices and participation vary. See participating locations for details. Void or prohibited. Welcome to the East Coast Offense Podcast. This is Chris Liss. And this podcast is brought to you by FanDuel.com. You can go to FanDuel.com, click on the mic in the upper right-hand corner, use my code RWPOD, sign up now. Special offer for new users. You can get a free six-month RotoWire subscription with just a $10 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPOD. That's more than $60 in value for just $10. Don't forget to use my code RWPOD. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. It's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today. What's up, Dalton? How you doing, man? Doing pretty well. How's uh, how are things in Germany? It's good. Cool here. You know, the time changes. I'm still just sleep deprived because, like, last night we had the Stake League draft, and that started at 1130. My time ended around 230 in the morning, and then I had to get up and take care of Sasha for a bit because Heather was playing tennis uh, this morning. So, you know, it's 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 an adjustment, but uh, but it's great, man. I, I love it here. That's good. Yeah, I had to. I was going to be back in the Stake League this year, and I felt bad. It, it overlapped with my, my daughter's uh, preschool orientation. And my wife was cool about it and said, you don't have to go. But, you know, I'm already in 12 other leagues. And I, I, I don't know. It's my, my first and only child. So I decided to go to that instead. So uh, lucky you, I had to, I had to bow out because I was going to be in that league with you. Yeah. I mean, last year I had the most points of anybody. And I didn't even like my team. And this year I love my team. I felt like I just crushed it. One thing that changed, it went from 16 to 14 teams, and there's no flex. So you're in a 14-team league. It's two running backs, three receivers, no flex. All of a sudden, it's not really that deep, that league. 16-team league is deep. 14, not so much. So I was really aggressive, and I just, you know, I paid up for David Johnson at like 42, Allen Robinson at like 42. Maybe David Johnson was 43. And then I got um, Brandon Cooks. And I got Drew Brees, and I got Jordan Reed, and I got Sterling Shepard. I just got pretty much everybody. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty good team for 14 Yeah, it's team like, league. if you look at it like a draft, I'm like, okay, I got two first-round picks, right. you know, a second, a third, you know, like a fourth, fifth, and sixth, and a seventh and good IDPs. It's like, yeah, my bench is kind of crappy, but 
you wouldn't trade. It's like you wouldn't trade a first round pick for like four bench guys, right? That's basically what I did. It, if you look at an auction like a draft, like in the end, you just really want to get a bunch of first round and second round picks because you know you would never trade those lower picks for them, even all of them. Yeah, I mean, I could see like the the, the Brad Evans league that you had the you know you had a proxy auction for you it was a ton of roster spot so i could see the argument for spreading the wealth but that's why auctions are just so much better i mean you could you can you could buy two first rounders if you wanted to two top five players and then try to you know get a bunch of one dollar players or you could really try to spread the wealth and spread the risk and it's just so much more strategy and and more interesting auctions yeah i mean i like it both i mean the, the draft there's a whole other thing you have to deal with and play the hand you're dealt and there's a there's a skill in that also but the sure. auctions are cool um, it's just funny though because, you know, in, in like labor or tout only leagues, I totally get the spread the spread the th- spread the risk yeah. because in those leagues, let's say you had Mike Trout, okay, for forty five bucks or whatever, and somebody was like, all right, well, I'll trade you for Mike Trout in an AL only league. I'll give you someone like Stephen Wright and Francisco Rodriguez and. Nick Castellanos, assuming he was healthy, or you know, three guys like that. Like you might do that because you're like, all right, I get saves, I get a good pitcher, and I get a, I get most of the pop back, right? In an only league, it would make sense. Like you might actually move Trout for three mid-level guys in a only league, but in a mixed league, you would never move Trout for those three guys ever. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, at bats and innings pitch are a legit commodity. I mean, you buy Trout for. Forty-five dollars, or whatever, and that's going to might result in another player who gets fifty at bats. You know, I mean, so you that, combine two two guys who get four hundred and fifty at bats, even if they're obviously on a per at bat, base, you know, rate stats are worse, but just pure volume, it's it's night and day different between a, a shallow mixed league, yeah, stars and scrubs versus spread the wealth, and there's not really equivalent of that in say football because there's no only leagues, but if it's really really deep and a ton of roster spots like that aforementioned Team Huevos league, you know, has like uh, uh, a super flex, you can start a quarterback and two other flexes. So three flexes added on with the three wide receiver, two running backs. So that was a little different, but still only a 12-team league. I still thought you should go after some stars. Exactly, right? So so that's the example. So in a only league, you would you would maybe trade three players for Trout, like no problem. It's not those, those mid-level players are super valuable. They have real above replacement value. And then like a 15-team mixed league, you probably wouldn't trade those three guys for you probably wouldn't trade trout for three mid-level players you'd probably just take your chances although it would make a tiny bit of sense and then the 12 team mixed league you would never even think about trading those never trout. Think. not yeah you wouldn't even never. yeah you would you need would. like three second round picks for you know you'd need like chris sale and you know and Corey seager for trout or something you need like two right. second round you know you need like legitimate big time value and I think that, you know, the, the, the Evans League is maybe like a 14-team baseball league or a 15-teamer. And most football leagues that we're in with auctions are like 12-teamers. They're pretty yep. shallow. Even the Stopa League, it's really the two tight ends. They're still like tight ends for two bucks. Antonio Gates went for two bucks in that league, right? And there's always QBs. Everybody has at least two or three. Did he really? I feel, oh, man, I'm frustrated if that's the case. Yeah, really? He went for two bucks? Two oh. bucks in that league. I, I think it was before, like, people started talking him up and realizing – He's going to be one of the main weapons. But anyway, if you and, and so most of these auctions, it's just like go get some stars and, and never. Yeah. I just think it's a terrible waste of money to spend on the mid-level guys because football is so 
it changes so much year to year, and and you're going to spend on like Ryan Matthews, hoping that he's going to hold down the job. All I mean, guys like that come and go. But you know Adrian Peterson, and I'm not even a Peterson guy. He's not going to lose the job. You know Le'Veon Bell when he comes back, if he doesn't smoke weed again or get hurt, he's not going to lose the job. You even know, you know, guys like Mark Ingram, if he's healthy, he's pretty much not going to lose the job. But you start getting down to the mid-tier guys, and it's just stupid to spend a lot of money on them. You're just so much better off just getting three or four studs and then just spreading the money around to fill in your roster. No, it's so true. I mean, um, of course, baseball players also have – players coming out of nowhere that are very valuable of course but football is just drastically i mean it's to the extreme i mean there'll be a guy who's not on anyone's roster who becomes a starting running back tomorrow you know a guy came out of nowhere every year who's legitimately a top 10 fantasy asset like from you know the difference between last week and this week that that happens every year and i i handcuffed myself last year by doing the spread the wealth and the stope and especially with just four bench spots or whatever it is I, I cut myself off of those $1 flyers who could, who could have just a ton of potential. And I, I made an, uh, an, an active choice beforehand that I wasn't going to do that to myself. And I, and I wanted guys I would have no problem cutting. You know, I, I, you know, the depth in a way actually hurt me because those, those middle-tier guys, like you're saying. So, um, I, you know, I went very different. I, I, dra- I bought Antonio Brown and Beckham Jr., so I, I certainly agree with you, and I, and I do think you need to buy some stars. I mean, they, whether that works or not, I just think fundamentally, strategically, that's the way to go. Yeah, and it's like it's such a pleasure to do the auction this way. Like I was like, all right, I had David Johnson, I had Allen Robinson, I had Jordan Reed. I just bid 20, and he stuck. And I was like, wow, I got these guys. And then I got Cooks, and then I got Drew Brees, who just stuck at 18. And I'm like, okay, I've got – I got D'Angelo Williams for seven bucks because I was bidding up the Le'Veon Bell guy, and he knew what I was doing. And even though he wanted him, he didn't want me to mess with him, so he just stopped. And then it was like, okay, I'll take him for seven bucks for four games and figure it out for in four games what I'll do with that spot. I love this team, and I had like thirty bucks left, and I was, you know, one of the lowest on money. But it didn't matter. I'd already gotten my guys, and then I see all these guys with all this money bidding on the Jeremy Macklins and Emmanuel Sanders of the league, getting into these bidding wars, and I'm thinking. Thank God I spent this money. Right, yeah. No, I have noticed through the two auctions I've been in that spending early is often beneficial because some people try I, – I try to be patient too, and I'm like, oh, I'm going to clean house later. But what often happens is that. Is other, all it takes is one other person to do the same thing and have a, a hoarding money, and then you end up bidding on these guys. This The timing of the auction – you know, I bought T.Y. Hilton in the Team Huevos League for more money than Brandon Marshall, and I have Marshall ranked comfortably ahead of him is just the timing. You know, I just messed up. I should have if, – if they had come opposite, I would have been happier. So, yeah, a lot of it has to do with timing and, and frankly, getting the guys you want and the stars early on more often than not seems to be the way to go. Yeah, and it's true that early on somehow like people just – it's weird because everybody has all their budget. So you think, okay, right. the beginning's where all the inflation's going to be. But everybody also has all the choice. So everybody can easily pass on a player that's not at an obvious bargain. And it's less obvious what a bargain is without the relative pricing. Now, once you've seen the top five running backs go, running back six, you know what he should be priced relative to those guys. Right. So you have a lot of information now, and you could say, oh, I see. If he's you know, 33 and those other guys are 38, then he's a bargain. And I can, you know, I'll bid 33 or 34 or 35. But – when the first guy comes out, you don't really know about the relative cost of everybody. So you really, so people don't know. So there's no information saying, oh, I know this is a good value. So people are hesitant. They don't have any relative basis from which to bid. 
And secondly, even though they have all their money, there's no guy that you have to get. There's so many good options, alternatives, if you don't get him. So unless the guy's, like, criminally cheap, you know, people are like, oh, okay, Allen Robinson's 37, 38. I don't want it. You know, I'll let it go. And then later on, that same type of guy's going for 46, 47, and they realize, shit, that guy who got him at 38 got a steal. Right. Well, exactly. Also, there's like, you know, uh, in the beginning, most people probably are comfortable letting them pass because they're like, oh, there are five or six other receivers in this same tier. So I don't it's OK if I don't get this person. Whereas later on, there might be a Jeremy Macklin, who's the last person in the tier. there's absolute scrubs after him and people have money to spend. So they're just going to have, you know, like, I don't want you know, to spend my money else. I mean, I need a wide receiver and this is the last um, you know, decent one. So they're going to, you know, get in a bidding war. So that's another thing that early guys tend to go cheaper because people are comfortable letting them pass because they know there's so many similar type players in that tier that they can get later. Yeah. No, I, and it's, it's often why uh, guys are cheap early. I got a few topics, man. I actually took some notes for one of the rare times I do it. All right, let's hear them. I, I wrote this tweet out and, I, and people kind of liking it because I think they thought it was funny. But basically, I said the strategy in fantasy football is to draft players with opportunities and skills in some order and then just pay attention during the year. Like, it do, it, I almost feel like it doesn't matter who you get. Because think about it this way. Let's say we're all informed. We're not going to, like, take Cam Newton in round two or something like that now. So you're going to get somebody, right? It doesn't really matter. If you get a 95 on the test or an 85 on the test, the draft these days is maybe 25% of your success, if that, because there's so much turnover and the pickups are huge and trades and who you start each week and just dumb luck on, you know, if you win a game or lose a game by a point or win by 50, guy gets hurt, you know, first quarter, your quarterback goes down, whatever. If your draft is like 25%, and the difference between getting an 85 on the test and a 95 on the test, it's like 2.5%. As long as you're a competent drafter, like you're not taking a quarterback in the second round, the difference between like doing a competent job and a great job is like 2.5% of the entire year. It doesn't matter who you get. It's like you just draft players with opportunities and skills in some order. And then after you do that, you just pay attention each week on waivers and what's going on. Like it almost like it's like I don't even. Everyone's arguing over you should take this guy here. Oh, no, I don't like this guy. I like that guy. Oh, I like Amari Cooper. No, I like T.Y. Hilton. Just draft one of them. It doesn't matter. It's the second round. It's PPR, three receivers. You get Cooper. Okay, I'll take Hilton. Oh, you take Hilton? Okay, I'll take Cooper. Who gives a shit? Nobody knows. Draft players with opportunity and skills in some order and pay attention during the year. I almost feel like all the rest of the shit is just, it's, it's, it's like splitting hairs. Yeah, I try to remain agnostic. Those are good examples. You said those receivers. I mean, you'd probably be fooling yourself if you really felt strongly one over the other because who knows? I I wish we could be more have more conviction, uh, but it's the, the reality of the matter is that it's just simply not true. You, I, I totally agree with what you're saying. You just draft set of skills and, and the role in which you think that they will be, but so many variables, so many things can change, can and will change. Um, let me ask you this, though, as far as following throughout the season, um, at least in mixed, say, baseball leagues, I'm all about, like, being aggressive early, especially, like, say, a closer emerges. You know, you want them for five months as opposed to two months. That That is obvious. And, and football have typically kind of been the same, but, but, but really with football, it's so much changes week to week. 
Um, assuming that you you have the confidence you can make the playoffs, that's when you want to peak is, is the playoffs. And and even if you pick up a starting running back in week two, who, who knows if he's going to be starting in week 12? Do you do you should you save your fab more and be extra aggressive weeks 11, 12, 13 with the eye toward your fantasy playoffs? The Tim Hightowers is the obvious example. But, you know, so much changes in, in two weeks, let alone a month and 10 weeks in the NFL. Maybe the prudent move is to is to really save your fab. Well, I guess what you're saying is that guys are going to keep getting hurt all year. And so the guy that's going to be fresh when he comes in in week nine is the guy you want, not the guy who comes in week two, and by the time it's week nine, he's already lost the job or gotten hurt right. himself. Right? So much more you don't want Thomas him. Rawls. You want David Johnson. That's the point, right? By the time Thomas Rawls, by the time you got to your playoffs, Thomas Rawls is already out for the year, right? Right. Whereas right. if you got David Johnson and you didn't blow all your money in Thomas Rawls, who was great, by the way, when he played, you would win the league rather you know Thomas Rawls actually, or, or Tim Hightower or whatever. I don't really know. I, I, it's an interesting point. I, I just kind of think, you know, a lot of those guys you get for free because nobody really knows they're going to even do well, some of them. You know, a lot of the times you get David Johnson a couple weeks early, you're like, I can see the writing on the wall here. You know, he got four carries. He did well. He caught four balls. Chris Johnson is banged up, whatever. I think a lot of the times you got to get these guys. I don't think it helps that much to hoard your fab and then just hope to get that one obvious guy because you have $100 left and nobody does. I think the better strategy is to spend your fab aggressively a week ahead. Always be a week ahead. Always get the guy for $10 that's going to be $60 the next week. You're going to waste a lot of 10s here and there, but I wouldn't wait for the thing that never comes. And sometimes the guy that everybody wants, the Charkandrick West, is good for like one week, and then Mm -hmm. somebody else takes over, splits carries with him. So I would really – I just think be aggressive all year. And you're going to need those wins early in the year. You know, you're going to need those Thomas Rawls wins for three or four weeks to get to the playoffs. And I was talking about this with Jeff today. They're talking about the NFFC, and it's like, you know, there's the regular season, but a lot of your entry fee goes to the overall $125,000 prize. And the question was, do you, should you draft aggressively because you want to win the whole thing, or is that stupid? You just want to make the playoffs and then be the guy who got David Johnson and Tim Hightower a week before right. the playoffs, and because you drafted conservatively, you had a team that made the playoffs, and, were, and now you can use those pickups to win the whole thing. Yeah, no, that, that is a, a very good point. That The strategy does change in those overall type. I personally on those just aim to try to win my league because you are going to get a decent amount of money, and then and it's just such a crapshoot elsewhere. Um, but that is an interesting point. And the other thing is it, it does matter. Like if you start out 0-3, um, you absolutely need to be really extra aggressive week four because, I mean, before you know it, your season could be over, assuming there isn't a – I always personally in my home leagues, I like to make the last playoff spot come down to total points. But assuming it's just based off record, then you might need to be a little bit more aggressive early on if you're off to a, a slow start in the win-loss department. But, yeah, and also if you are aggressive early on, even if you're doing well, you could parlay that in a trade, you know, in, in a non-NFFC league. But, um, yeah, that's an interesting point you bring up is, is, is the strategy as far as trying to go after that top overall prize. But a lot of those real big ones, there are so many people. I mean, I, I think just really you should just try to try to aim toward winning your league and then – just see where the chips fall after that. Right. I think it would be one thing if the total prize were awarded on just whoever had the most overall points over 16 weeks and not right. like a playoff thing. Because in that case, then I think it would like totally matter to be crazy aggressive and hope to catch like the, you know, Allen Robinson and Devonta Freeman and Cam Newton and Jordan Reed all on the same team with your nucleus of three successful first three round picks. That's how you'd win the whole thing. Whereas, that's not how it works, though, right? All you got to do is get in and have a couple hot players for the playoffs. 
So the, you don't, you know, you really do need to focus on just making the playoffs, even in those high stakes leagues. So it's just weird. I, I'm just getting to the point where I'm like, I like certain players, usually young receivers um, and just younger players that I want to pay for the future in football. I don't want to pay for the past. So, you know, I have a question. You, gotta pay for some, you know, there's something to be said about A.J. Green or Julio Jones or Antonio Brown. You're paying for the past, what they've done. But I want to kind of pay for the future. I want to, I want to get the guys who are, you know, next year's obvious top five guys ahead of time. Yeah, if we only knew. But, yeah, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, um, but um, I, I've been, uh, I'm, I'm going to do a, a very expensive primetime uh, NFFC league and a, a Rotowire online championship one as well, which is like 350 So I got a good chunk of change. But they're drafting in not until, like, September. I try to push those off till close as I can before the season. Um, but I believe you've done at least one already. So have you um, formed an opinion as far as the, um, for those that don't know, I forget what it's called, but they do a reverse third round. So if you have an early first round, you don't pick until you pick late second and then late third. Have you, um, you know, formed an opinion on wh- where you want to draft in, in a format like that? Yeah, top three. You do? Uh, okay. Yeah. Okay. I want to get Beckham or Antonio Brown if I can. The, the second round's not a big deal, the drop-off. Okay. Uh, I mean, the, sorry, the third round. I mean, the third round, it, it, it's a little bit, but I actually got really – I don't know. I really liked my team. I don't know if you saw the beat Chris list team. I did. I did it on Saturday and yeah, I, love- I mean, I felt like just, it just worked out for me and we'll see if it, you know, obviously doesn't work out until you actually see the results at the end of the year. But I, I picked, so it was third round reversal, which means I picked, you know, you pick early first, late second, but you also pick late third and early fourth. But that three, four turn really helped me having an early fourth round pick. I thought was a nice bonus. Because right. I ended up getting Le'Veon Bell fell all the way to two eleven, and it's actually the latest he's gone in any of these drafts. I thought, wow, after four games, I'm going to have Odell Beckham and Le'Veon Bell. That's pretty good uh, in an overall contest, especially if they're both healthy during the playoffs. And then the three four turn. What happened was everybody went so crazy on wide receivers. I mean, they were just going off the board like you wouldn't believe. Like Demarius Thomas went at two seven, Amari Cooper went at two five or two four. T.Y. Hilton at 2-3. You know, they were just flying off the board. I mean, even guys like Decker went in the third round. Fitzgerald went in the third round. Golden Tate went in the third round. I mean, it's crazy. And so yeah. I was like, all right, I'll take Le'Veon well, Bell in the second. PR, but yeah, that's, that's absurd. But that's Le'Veon really... Bell is a 70-catch running back in a 16-game right. season. He'll catch 60 in 12 games. C.J. Anderson is a 40-catch at least guy if he stays healthy. And then Ingram caught 50 balls in 12 games also. So I got Bell, Anderson, and Ingram. And I was like, screw it. Not only do I have two starting backs who are three-down guys while Bell's hurt, and I don't have to like pay up for D'Angelo Williams, but I have Beckham. So then I ended up getting Emmanuel Sanders and Kevin White in five and six, and I'm just hoping one of those two pans out. Maybe I shouldn't have gone with Charles Sims, which is kind of a luxury, but he's my third back and my flex the first several weeks. I got Torrey Smith in round eight. But And Sim could go nuts if Martin went down. Yeah, totally. And I just felt like, look, it is better to get wide receivers in this environment, in this day and age, in a three-receiver PPR league with a flex. But there is a limit to which wide receivers and which running backs. And they were taking off all the wide receivers – and leaving three down backs to me in rounds three and four. And I just thought, okay, that's fine. I, I'm happy to go the other way here. And all you guys are going three receivers to start your draft. Three out of four picks are receivers. And I'm happy to go in the other direction and take three backs. 
Yeah, um, yeah, no, I, I, I really like C.J. Anderson, and even Mark Ingram quietly caught a lot of balls before he got hurt last year, which he always gets hurt, but that's still right. And I really like the upside pick you uh, with McKinnon. I'm all over McKinnon this year. A um, couple things. Uh, first one I want to bring up to you is you drafted a Denver defense uh, in the 14th round. This is a 20 round draft, um, but I kind of like it. I, I don't, I don't like just that you must wait to the final two rounds to draft your kicker. And defense, especially in a twenty-round draft, I'm, I'm actually totally on board with that pick there. What go through your thought process? And it looks like four went immediately afterward in the same round. Yeah, uh, I mean it's the beat Chrysalis League, so a lot of these guys listen to the show and maybe even this podcast, and so they, you know, it, it's probably more influenced. Although some of them think I'm an idiot, I'm sure, and want to beat me, but it, it's just maybe more influenced by what I do than most leagues. But it cost me Brett uh, Bashad Perriman. I actually wanted to get him. And that's fine, though. I mean, he's just kind of a lottery ticket. But Denver's D is an all-time great D. It's why I bet on them in the under in the Super Bowl, even though everyone thought Carolina was going to crush them. The all-time great Ds, and if you looked at, like, Football Outsiders and some of the other advanced metric sites, they showed Denver's, like, one of the top ten defenses of all time. Not just, like, the happened to be the best defense in the league last year. This is a great defense. And their corners are three deep with, like, legit cover corners. And they've got... Von Miller and DeMarcus Ware rushing the passer. This is a, just a ridiculous defense. And Wade Phillips was a terrible head coach, but he's a good defensive coordinator. Look, I don't care about – I'm not going to take Minnesota or Kansas City in round 14, which are two of the ones that went, and they're probably decent prospects to be decent fantasy defenses. But the yeah, top but one or two, especially the top one, I, I'll trust that. I think overall defenses are not that predictable, team defense. But you're talking about like an all-time defense when the Ravens were good, when they were an all-time defense, or the Bucks were an all-time defense in 2002 and those couple of years, that nasty defense that they had. That's reliable in fantasy, I think. The, the top couple, especially when they're in sort of an all-time level. Yeah, I mean, it's tough to repeat de- defense as opposed to a team with a you know a, a inner circle Hall of Fame quarterback. It's easier to you know predict a, a, a consistent winning record, but they certainly have the personnel. And you're right, it's not just a great defense or the number one defense last year. It's possibly historically great defense. And um, I think you said this, but I, I've totally abided by it myself. That I don't want to act like I can predict uh, stuff like defenses, but I think the top top tier and the bottom tier, you know, the top three and bottom three ish, I think that's fairly right. safe. Uh, like- to target that. I, I read articles by people where like there's no correlation. The correlation is like point oh five between you know the the preseason rankings and the final rankings. But that's a stupid study because that's studying everything combined. You're not studying the top and the bottom. Oh really? You think that? Okay, so fine. I'll take Denver and you can take the Saints defense. <laughs> and let's make right. a bet who has more fantasy points this year. Even money. How about this? I'll give you five to four odds. I'll take Denver. You take the Saints. It's totally no correlation, right? That's so generous of me. No, you're not going to make that bet because you don't believe that bullshit study because that study is overall there's no correlation. But if you only study the top and the bottom, I guarantee there would be a correlation. Right, and assuming it's a decent defense, too, on the flip side, even offenses. Like, I, I would blindly right now want to own whomever's facing my 49ers week 14, the first week of the fantasy playoffs. Like, I'll tell you that right now. They will be ranked as a top five fantasy D that week, and I couldn't even tell you whom they. I mean, assuming they're you know at least a, an average defense, I, I think on the other spectrum you can safely predict a terrible offense as well. And maybe I'm wrong, but I, I really am. I mean, am I pretty would down. Say it's safe, but it's likely. And let's say kickers, right? Kickers so unpredictable. Okay, fine. Yeah. So I'll take Guskowski, who has more points at the end of the year, 
and you can take whoever the hell the kicker is for, right. you know, the Niners or the Browns. How about that? Who's going to get more? Right. Total? It's like, obviously, yeah. you, I mean. Yeah, you'll, prob- you'll probably win if you take the field, obviously, but I would even give you three choices, you know, versus I Gustavus. would take the field over three choices, but I, but I'm just saying, like, at the extreme. No, no, no. I'm saying, no, I'm saying the field will beat Gostowski, but I, 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 you could pick three kickers and I'd pick. I'm saying I, w- I would rather have the field than any three kickers to have the most points. Y- yes, I agree. Yes. Yeah, but I'm saying that, but basically, if you're just talking about at the extremes, these things are predictable. They are not right. random. Even if overall it's random. Even if your kicker rankings overall don't correlate year to year. Right. Yeah. No, I mean, you got house good. So another another thing as far as defenses go, and I've just been getting them in every league I'm in so far, is New England. I know they lost Chandler Jones and all that, but I mean, I project them to win another 11, 12 games this year, and they're coached so well. And I love defenses tied to playing ahead, you know, I mean, it just is, and, and same with kickers on offenses that score a lot of points like like Gostowski and Hauschka. Um, so I, I've been I've been ending up with, with New England, even if I don't know their personnel backward and forward. Um, you know, I just like trusting teams that are projected over, you know, win-loss, you know, a dozen wins. I think that's helpful. Yeah, I, I agree. But you should also like the Packers defense then too, right? And the Steelers that's true. defense. That's true. That's true. And that, I mean, I don't, yeah, that's a good point. That is a good point. I mean, because they're all projected for ten and a half wins, basically. Yeah, I actually like the Packers win a lot of games this year. But you're right that they're not going to be probably not an elite defense. So that, that's that, that's a fair point. Um, well, let me ask you uh, something that happened in um, in that Team Huevos league. I actually just published an article like the day of or the day before, talking about how Kelvin Benjamin is um, you know hasn't played in 20 months. His, his, when he did play, it was one year in which he caught 50% uh, reception rate, got 7.0 yards per target, now has better receivers around him, plays on a team that literally is the most run-heavy team in the NFL, and is coming off major knee surgery, and he's getting drafted as like the wide receiver 15. That just seems absurd to me. And I ended up buying him in this auction because he was $17, which made him like the the number 25, 26 wide receiver, where I do have him ranked. Now, do you ever do that? Guys that you were like, you know, are down on, but yeah. just the price, if the price totally changes based on what you've seen, then you're like, fine, I'll take him. Yeah. I, uh, well, actually I was, pr- I, I price and force sometimes in that situation because I'm like, ah, oh, someone will, someone likes this guy. Right. I hate this guy. Danny Woodhead for eight bucks in the Stopa league. I got stuck with, I was like eight, someone will go nine. Cause they think Danny Woodhead's like a fourth round pick. Um, and it was a terrible buy for eight bucks in a uh, in a league where it's only half PPR. Uh, so I got stuck with Woodhead. And I don't like him at all. But sometimes I get stuck, and I actually am happy with it. I'm fine with it. It happened with Breeze in the uh, stake league. I got him for eighteen. Got stuck and was like, okay, that's fine. I'm not a Breeze guy, but I had drafted Andy Dalton to play when uh, Breeze is on the road because you really can't use Breeze on the road. If you look at Breeze's road numbers, he's like the 23rd or 24th best quarterback, maybe 25th. He's just un- he's basically unusable. And then somebody just tweeted me that Breeze gets Denver and Seattle at home this year. So he may have six playable games. I may even use him against Seattle or Denver, but maybe not Denver. I don't know. I have to think about it. At home, it's a different thing. But Breeze may have six playable games. I may want to down- downgrade Breeze, actually. Yeah, that's interesting. I just moved him ahead of Roethlisberger to number five on my ranks just because 
Roethlisberger gets hurt every year, and like you know the 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 past what Breeze has done, it just seems safer. Even though he's definitely not like a, I'm also not a Breeze guy. He rarely, if ever, ends up on my fantasy team. But that's interesting though. I didn't realize that he faces the two two best defenses in the league at home. I didn't I know I didn't, on the road it'd be fine. You just know to bench him, and it's not a big deal. But if, if yeah, in a way, it almost you, you almost like that because I'm fine with rostering two quarterbacks. I mean, yeah. and then just playing Matt. I mean that that's it's, it's in a way better. Like, you know, the dominant Coors Field hitters, I kind of like guys of massive uh, lefty splits in, in daily transaction leagues. You just get better production and then a replacement level as opposed to, you know, 60% both ways. So I, I kind of like that. Right. Now, Breeze normally with eight home games becomes peak Peyton Manning for those eight games. And then the eight other games you get, say, Andy Dalton or Ryan Tannehill or whoever the hell you want to pick up for that week. And you'll end up with like a top three quarterback almost guaranteed between the two, between just the, the average guy who gets you, you know, 12 to 13, you know, touchdowns when Breeze isn't in your lineup and, you know, 2,000 yards. And then plus Breeze is 2,800 yards and 27 touchdowns. You add the two together and you end up getting like the, the quarterback three. It's just that it kind of sucks that he's got those two. I didn't realize that uh, he's playing. Those yeah, it's two. funny you mentioned that. The, the, who was the person that you hated the most uh, uh, after the auction in Stopa last year? Who was the person that I hated the most? Oh, I hated Your Devonta pot. Freeman. Yeah, I hated, and, and the same <laughs> amount of money is eight bucks. Yeah, it's, uh, what if Danny Woodhead turns into the Devonta Freeman this year? That would be pretty pretty crazy. But that would be yeah. very unlikely. But you know, he could <laughs> he could certainly catch as many passes. I just don't see him getting all the. Uh, he did get some goal line carries last year. He though. was a way better red zone runner, or even inside, and then Dan. That would Melvin. be sick. That would be really sick. And I and I've been hating on him. It's really weird. And we talked about this a little on the XM show today. But like, I feel really strong. Not, I don't feel that strong, but I feel pretty strongly about a lot of players. Of course, injuries are always possible. But I really like Allen Robinson. I've warned up to David Johnson to the point where I've just taken him everywhere now. Yeah. And you know, I've got some other guys like Brandon Cooks I really like, and a few others. And I just think about in baseball, I was so sure Yasiel Puig was going to have a huge year. He came in in shape. He seemed to have a good attitude. There was, like, no issues coming in. The guy's a megaton. He was, like, 25, 26 years old. You know, everything was good. He was over his injuries. And it's just, the it's people, just a reminder, like, just how, no matter how good you feel about any of these players, you really just have no idea. The people that put up the numbers he did at his age when he first came in the league are like typical, typically inner circle Hall of Famers. Like, I, I mean, it was very – I mean, maybe he battled hamstring injuries again, which he did to some extent. Yeah, but. I think that might have been it. I think that he was – I think – I mean, whatever. It's easy to say in retrospect, but he did spend a couple stints on the DL. I think that he was playing through an injury, wasn't really himself, and then instead of just like – being mature enough to be like, yeah, I'm hurt, man. I got to just take a lot of time off and get better. I don't know. That, that's my explanation for it because, you know, you own that talent when you're 22 and you, you put up that kind of year. And it just <laughs> – I've still got to go in on him next year, by the way. And Buxton. Brantley I never liked. Brantley was just because Stefani told me that he was – going to be healthy by mid-April or, or May and that it wasn't a hard re- injury to recover fully from once you're back. I, I, that was that's a one-time thing. But Puig and, and Buxton, I'm going to be back in on next year. Yeah, I mean, I would give you a hard time, but I was right there with you with Puig. I mean, I, I own him almost everywhere. I, uh, I spent the same amount of money on him as I did Corey Seager in NL Labor, and one is not like the other. Um, but I don't know about blaming it on injuries. First of all, injuries are a thing, and it's chronic hamstring with – 
Puig. And secondly, it just seemed like performance just wasn't there even regardless of the of the injury. I, I'm kind of down on him, but maybe that's the time to buy him. He certainly, certainly I mean, will be at a discount next year. Baseball has been so weird. I mean, you have these guys like Melvin Upton, who's basically hitting himself out of the league, and then he's like putting up big numbers. Will Myers, a failed prospect, putting up monster numbers. Okay, then you have Harper. Who yeah, was, well, I was just going to say, what what in the world do you make of Harper? Okay, like, this so is then you have Harper, who's like the greatest prospect of all time, putting up a Bonds-like season last year, starting out for two weeks just like Bonds, and it was like, this guy's the greatest guy ever. Then they start walking him every time up. They just pitch around him. They don't pitch to him for like two weeks. And right. he's literally going like O for O with four walks. And then a couple weeks later, he just gets into a slump. They start pitching to him, and he never emerges from the slump ever to this point. And it's just baseball is so fucked up. It, I don't know what's going on. I don't. Maybe the roids are finally out of it, and and there's like this weird fatigue setting in with the muscles, or I don't know what's going on. But I've never seen more guys come from nowhere and more guys go back to nowhere, okay? You have Carlos Gomez, Bryce Harper, just falling apart completely, just completely collapsing. Justin Upton. These guys just pretty much in their prime or late prime or early prime, collapsing into nothing. And then you have guys like Jonathan VR having a ridiculous season. And Eduardo Nunez having a ridiculous season. And, you know, Will Myers was a prospect. And so that's why I think Puig could be like, you know, couple years in the wilderness and he's back but man it is just i don't i don't you know every year you could say it's weird or whatever but it's just bizarre and like you have like steven wright and kyle Hendricks and these you know and danny duffy and these are the guys coming out of nowhere to carry people's pitching staffs and guys like david price and matt harvey total garbage and harvey was finally hurt and maybe he was pitching hurt the whole time but it's just bizarre and I don't have any price for Harvey, thank God. But just, it's just been a, a year where I, I think more than ever that, that the, that, you know, Mike Trout is like, you, you got to realize how great he is because he's just the only right. guy you could ever trust. Yeah, no, seriously, especially with Kershaw going down. Yeah, I have a few shares of Harvey. It's been brutal. Um, the thing with, with Harper is it's not just, oh, he's disappointed. He's not like hitting 260. He's hitting like 212 over three months. I mean, it's like just incredibly bad, like just crazy. And what it- I don't know what to make of it, but there's an interesting article, I believe today or yesterday on 538, um, laying out evidence that the baseball itself is juiced. So a lot of other areas, the, the home run but is so, up. But since the All-Star break, it's totally gone back. It was juiced until the halfway point, and then they replaced it or something because it's yeah. totally gone back since the break, the rate of home Weird. run. Weird, and you'd think with the the hotter weather, it should should only right. have gone up even more. So but, that's but the opposite has happened. And yeah, just, I mean, what do you make of that? I, I mean, I have, I wish there was some. I wish you could learn something so I could adjust next year. But I, I'm just throwing my hands up more than ever. You know, <laughs> I, don't, I don't I don't know what what to make of all this or what strategy. I keep my starting pitching strategy. I certainly know that I'm going to have to look more into um, possible. Uh, trading when it comes to closers because just what a joke. I mean, just a, a third of the league was traded in or out of a, of a closing situation in the past month. Yeah, that that, that kind of turnover is uh, – that's kind of rare. I mean, there's always turnover, but this, this has been big with the closers. I don't think that's anything to worry about. It's like a trend going forward. How about the slump Giancarlo Stanton was in for like two months? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's just – I don't know what's going on. I, I honestly feel like every year there's stuff like this. There was a year that – Edward Encarnacion had, like, two home runs in the middle of May. Um, there was a year that Jeter hit 191 into June, finished the year hitting 291. Uh, there was a year that 
Josh Hamilton was hitting 400. Or Lance Berkman was hitting 400 one year. Josh Hamilton was hitting 400 another year with, like, 20 home runs in June. Um, there's been all sorts. You know, Matt Kemp had, like, that year he was the number one pick or the number two pick. He was he had, like, 12 home runs in the first two weeks of April. And it was like, man, if you didn't get pick, get the first pick or second pick and get Kemp, how can you win? And then he just collapsed after that. I mean, or he got hurt. It was just every year there's something. You know, another thing is I drafted Prince Fielder. I wanted. I was targeting David Ortiz in the ninth round, the eight nine turn in NFBC, but somehow Prince Fielder fell there. Unprecedented drop. I said, "Wow, Prince Fielder!" And who knew that he would retire before Ortiz? You know, my guy actually retired before the guy that we knew was retiring. I, I, I have to have a lot of Ortiz, thankfully. But um, I I brought this up on this podcast before. But I had the same exact decision to make in a in a fifteen hundred dollar NFBC league, and um, and I chose Fielder. And even more frustrating, because it, it's one thing in hindsight, but at the time I was like, man, I value these guys really closely, but I have a bunch of shares of Ortiz, so I'm going to go fielder here. And what made it even more frustrating is all the whole turn back, you know, 15 picks later, Ortiz came back to me, and I couldn't take two DHs, you know? So that made it even more Yeah, if you knew, if you knew at that moment what both guys would do, you would definitely have taken Ortiz and just drop fielder right away. I'd just be like, right. okay, I just didn't have like an eighth round pick. That's fine. He's 32 years old, man. That sucks. That's kind of sad. That sucks for him. I mean, it was an emotional, uh, you know, conference yesterday and um, yeah, yeah, out of the league. Pretty crazy. So I was talking about this on the XM show. I went on a bit of a rant, but if you look at the reporting on this and Ken Rosenthal, I actually like Ken, Ken Rosenthal as a reporter, but he's talking about whether the Rangers have insurance on his contract and I'm like, who gives a fuck if they have insurance? What does that mean? That means some rich dickhead who owns the Rangers or some insurance company um, right. will pay. Who cares? Who gives a shit? It's not, there's no salary cap. It's not like, oh, good thing they had insurance because they can stay under the cap. Right. or whatever. It has nothing to do with it. We're talking about some guy who probably got his stadium publicly financed. You know, The public pays welfare for this billionaire. And we're worried about whether he has insurance on the contract. So that's one thing. And it's I'm not like Fielder's doing something shady. The guy clearly wants to play. Oh, no. no, of course he'd <laughs> rather be playing. And, and, but, but they're talking about whether, he has insu- whether the Rangers have insurance. Who gives a fuck? I hope they don't. I hope they have to pay it out of pocket. Okay, second. Because <laughs> okay? I don't care. Why should I care about that? We, the, the reporting is so management-centric. It's so from management's point of view. It, it's, it'll be like, oh, that Evan Longoria contract, that's such a great contract. It's great for the billionaire dickhead. There's no salary cap. It's not even good for the team. The team can spend whatever it wants. It's good. It basically is a transfer of money from Evan Longoria to some owner on the Rays, right? That's all it is, that contract. It means nothing else. It means nothing else. Any financial constraint in baseball is voluntary. That's all it is. So why are we talking about how good Evan Longoria's contract is? It's not the NBA with the salary cap or the NFL. It's not a good contract. It's... A team-friendly – it's not even a team-friendly contract. It's an owner-friendly contract. Call it what it is. Don't report everything like we're identifying with the owners and we're trying to keep costs down. Why would we be identifying with the owners? Fuck the owners. Fuck the owners. The owners are the ones raising the prices on the tickets. They're the enemy, okay? They're not your buddy. They're not your buddy. Let's, let's report it from the point of view of the fans or the player. Okay. Secondly, this guy Ed Werder on ESPN – Okay, he's one of the ESPN guys. Tweeted Everyone, out, I think everyone knows who Ed Warder is. What's that? I think people know who Ed Warder I don't is. Know. He's a, I, didn't, I, I know a, the name. I don't really know who he is. But he's, anyway, a cowboy. So, he's a Cowboys mouthpiece. Okay. So he tweeted out, you know, the Dallas police and firefighters are struggling to raise money for something or other, you know, their pension or so, something, you know, legitimate that they need to pay expenses. 
and yet Fielder's getting $24 million a year to do nothing. And right. it's like, dude, you could also have said something like, he didn't say it exactly like that, actually, but he said it, it was, that was the effect of it. But you could also say, wow, if the Rangers can throw $24 million at Fielder for nothing, they could probably throw $24 million toward these pensions of the guys that protect them in their community. If owner X, I don't even know the, what the owner's name is. They have a couple owners, I think, the Rangers, can spend $24 million on that, he could probably spend $24 million on his community. You know, like that. You could look at it like that just as well. Why is it on Fielder? And as you said, Fielder wants to play. This is a medical, it's, it's a medical necessity that he's retiring. He's badly injured in his neck. Second neck fusion. He has a neck yeah, brace not, crying, at, crying yeah. at his, uh, you know, his, his, his conference yesterday or his retirement deal. I mean, it's very bizarre to me why uh, the public always does shit on the players making the money. I mean, I guess it's it's easier to be to the elder playing a game or whatever. But I mean, it's very simple economic supply and demand. They're getting paid this because they're earning more for the owner. I mean, they wouldn't be paying these contracts if these guys are smart how they made their money, and they wouldn't be doing dishing out these contracts that continue to get bigger if they weren't making more money overall. And it's yes, it's the owner, and it's just I guess just because they're hidden behind you know no one can you know there's not a lot of faces you can put with the ownership, so I, it makes it easier. But but it's and, not just that. It's because even Ken Rosenthal, who's a good reporter, but all the, they report everything from the point of view of ownership. Right. And, and I've read about this, and a guy wrote a, a really great thing uh, in the, uh, some op-ed. This was during the McCain-Obama presidential race, and there was that like, douchebag Joe the Plumber guy who's like, I'm Joe the Plumber, and I want to start a business, and you're going to tax me, and blah, blah, blah. If I make more than 250000 I'm going to get taxed under your thing, whereas you know, McCain's not going to tax me. He was like, Joe the Plumber. Remember that dude? Of course, he wasn't even a plumber. Right, it was all bullshit, right? But this guy wrote a really interesting op-ed, and I wish I remembered the name. But there's a there's a philosopher, and this is not the guy who wrote the op-ed, and his name's John Rawls, and his whole thing is the veil of ignorance. And he says, if you're going to make rules for society, what the tax rates should be, you know, what the what kind of social safety net we should have, whoever's making all those rules, they should make them under a particular condition, and that condition is they should be behind the veil of ignorance. And the veil of ignorance is you don't know who you're going to be. We're going to draw straws after we make the rules, okay? And, of course, more people are going to be poor because there's just more poor people. And fewer people are going to be rich, right? 99% of people are going to be in the 99%. Only 1% of the people are going to be in the 1%. But we don't know who's going to be who yet, okay? That comes later. First thing we've got to do is make the rules. And you know that those rules would be pretty damn fair because you don't know where you're going to be, right? You don't know that you're going to be rich. If you're already rich and making the rules – you have a very lopsided incentive to make them favoring yourself. And, of course, it is the rich people who have the power and the lobbyists and stuff that make most of the rules, okay, even though everybody theoretically has a vote. So what this guy wrote after the Joe the Plumber bullshit is he said, you know, the veil of ignorance is, is a really good way to look at it, of how to make the rules. He said, in America, we live in the veil of opulence, meaning not what would I do not knowing where I'd be, but we say, what would I do assuming I were rich? Okay. Assuming I was the rich guy, how would I want the rules to be? Even if you're not rich, you've been trained to think like this. So the idiot Joe, the plumber guy who doesn't make shit, who doesn't even have a business that makes money is worried about theoretical, hypothetical taxes when he could be, you know, being like, well, actually, I actually need some of this, you know, unemployment insurance or whatever the hell he needs. So it's just funny that our reporting comes from like the veil of opulence. Okay. We're going to pretend we're owners now and look at all these issues from the ownership point of view. And it's like, but why? You know, the owners are a very small minority of people that can own a baseball team. 
And why are we looking at it from their perspective? Why do we give a fuck? Yeah, that probably does shape, as I, as I said, you know, the general public always, you know, giving a harder time to the player. Maybe it, it, that contributes to that. It certainly doesn't help. Yeah, there's that. And then obviously who's replaceable and who's not? Who gives a fuck what suit is in the, you know, who owns the team? It's not even the GM who actually has some skills, you know, a good GM like a Theo Epstein knows what he's doing. Right. Some fucking suit who owns the team. Maybe he's a smart manager and he hired good GM and good president of operations or whatever. But come on, man. If I give you a couple billion dollars and you buy a team, you're going to do just fine. It doesn't matter which one of us is running the fucking team. The irreplaceable guys are the guys on the field. Right. It matters. If those guys don't play, there's nobody good enough at baseball to play. We don't care who's owning the goddamn team. It really makes no fucking difference. Right. Of course. Of course not. Yeah. And then anyway. there's very few that even good name. I mean, Mark Cuban, Jerry Jones. And then, I mean, I mean, that couldn't and even know. I mean, Jerry Jones. I mean, he's not doing shit. No. I mean, <laughs> if anything, he's harming it because he's acts as the GM and doesn't know what the fuck he's doing. Of course. Yeah. He, he, they had to twist his arm. I mean, he, he wanted to draft Johnny Manziel. Right, and he instead, already had Tony Romo. <laughs> yeah, instead of instead of the all world offensive line that he got yeah. when they when yes. uh, cooler heads prevailed. Right. All right, so so there's that. I, I want to mention that. Also, uh, have, I don't. We haven't talked. To, everybody's been talking about this show, but I, I figure I would mention it quickly. Is uh, have you been watching Stranger Things? I watched it all. I binged it in, in three nights. Yes. Okay, yeah, I, I did kind of the same. What did you did you like it? I did, and I'm not normally really a sci-fi guy. Um, I hope it doesn't ruin too much, but it, there's an alien aspect, and luckily I was warned a little bit right before. I, I was kind of under the assumption it was just a, you know, a child abduction, but I didn't quite realize that it was getting, what I was getting into. But it still intrigued me. There were a lot of flaws, but the whole 80s aspect was great. The, the, the score, the music, the intro, um, the, the acting, I was in. I, I really was thoroughly enjoyed. Again, had its flaws, but I was thoroughly entertained, even if it's not my favorite genre. What about you? I, I liked it too. I, I was I was kind of riveted and kind of cool that in the end it didn't um, it didn't go the way of um, I thought it might go the way of True Detective for a while. True Detective was like this awesome. The first one was like this great intriguing story, and then it kind of got super conventional at the end. Super good, yeah. The end when they're just running, yes. But this that didn't do that so really. It didn't really so get that way. No, so, it didn't. I no. like that. The, some of the stuff was a little unbelievable, like when the sheriff guy just kept punching people in the face and they'd just be knocked out <laughs> so we could go, like, search places for a right. while. I love that sheriff guy, though. But, yeah. I know, but he, like, punches some dude in the face and the guy's just out cold. Like, <laughs> you know how hard it is to execute that? Like, you're, you're in a place. The guy doesn't want to let you in. You punch him in the face and he's just yeah. out cold. You he's might have to do a long, drawn-out, drag-him-out fight to the death yeah. there. You don't know that you're going to pop him once. He'll go to sleep for a while, and you get to go inspect everything and check things out. Yeah, he was asleep for the uh, however minute, however, however amount of time it took for him to do the task in which he needed to complete. Have you watched like the Born Identity and the Born Ultimatum? All those Born Some movies. Of them, yeah. yeah, those are yeah. good movies, right? But that dude, Matt Damon, he's like the professional CIA guy, and he has to like fight to the death sometimes. He can't just punch okay. somebody and knock him out. It'd be so easy if you just pop someone once and they just go to sleep for twenty minutes. Yeah, he was beating up on smaller guys, but yes. But how do you uh, know the guy's not going to wake up in three minutes? You know, I just, to me, I, that, was, that was one thing. The other thing is, I don't like sci-fi, and this was True Blood, which was okay for two seasons, and I couldn't deal with it anymore on HBO. The oh, me too. Movie. I gave up. Yeah, I, I really liked the first season or two, yeah. yeah. Even though I'm not a vampire guy, but yeah, that, I, I had to give up on that too. I gave up because the powers that people had just became completely ill-defined. So it's like... You want even if there's a sci-fi, if it's like Game of Thrones or whatever the hell it is, 
you want to understand, okay, like dragons can do this and these people can do that. And this person can do this. And Game of Thrones has a little bit of an issue with this too. Not, oh shit, he can do this. Or what if I just do that? And it's just this random power that nobody to that point in the show ever had or knew about. And then it changes the whole plot of the show because suddenly you can do this crazy thing. Mm-hmm. I don't like that. I don't like when suddenly, like, like they had the thing in, well, I don't want to give it away too much, but in that, like, bear trap thing, like, but, like, that kind of worked. But then the other guys had those machine guns and it didn't work. It's just, like, what works, what does, you know, it's, you want to understand, like, what the physics of the, you want to understand the physics of the sci-fi world, basically. Yeah, you don't want them to have change the rules midway yes. through to fit the narrative in which they're trying to make that specific right. storyline change. I got gotcha. you. Right, you're invested like you drafted your PPR team. You're totally invested, and midway through, it's a non-PPR, and then you know, or it, it just changes like all, you've in, you've invested in a certain idea of what's going on. Yeah, but that show was was I would recommend it. Though, it was man. good. That, yeah, it was, was good. It was. Do good. you feel yeah. that? Um, I mean, I, I, I kind of thought as a sequel to Vision Quest, uh, it worked also. What do you think about that? Oh, man. I don't, I don't even know that. You don't know Vision Quest? I mean, I've heard of it, but I, I, I can't Basically, claim that. Basically, Matthew Modine. He was like 17 or 18 years old, maybe 20 at most. And he was a okay. high school wrestler. It's a good movie, okay. actually. I, you know, when I wrestled in high school. Oh, Matthew Modine's in it, you're saying. Oh, okay. Yeah, it's the sequel because Matthew, when he grows up to be that guy. Okay, all it's right. very sad. You would perfect. never think from Vision Quest that he would grow up to be right. the guy in uh, in Stranger Things. It's, I it's, have heard of that, to be clear, I mean, but no, I Vision don't. Quest, man, you're just before my time. Before my time, Jeez. I believe Vision Quest is a classic. It's yeah. a wrestling movie, man. All right, okay. And all I right. always do that. You know, like Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones yeah. is actually a prequel to The Wire. Did you know that? Why is that? Because Littlefinger. Oh, right. Yeah, he grows As he gets older and he realizes, he he decides to run for mayor of Baltimore in the future. Right. Right? Nice. I like it. Carcetti. Littlefinger's Carcetti. I like that when there's the same actor in two movies, you can look at them as like, what if he just became that? The the, the Littlefinger Carcetti is a very, it's a stretch, you know, but... Yeah, but it is the same dude. All right. Well, that's Beetlejuice. Maybe it's a, this is the uh, Stranger Things, a sequel to Beetlejuice because uh, Winona Ryder was a that's right. teenager. That, exactly. I was I was looking at more of a sequel to Vision Quest, but I could see it also as a sequel to Beetlejuice. Absolutely. Okay. Okay. All right. Hey, well, well real quick, um, real quick, we're um, probably got to go soon, but a couple couple uh, retirement was a theme, so I want to run two two guys real quick by you. Have you seen the the recent news that Ladarius Green may have to retire with recurring headaches? I didn't know if he'd have to retire, but I downgraded him because of the headache combined with the foot issue so yeah that that that's that would suck that that's something to pay attention to but more importantly um what about your boy a rod he's in the lineup tonight i believe hitting cleanup dhing against the lefty and then tomorrow friday night his uh final game ostensibly ever certainly with the yankees and i kind of want to give you the platform here because uh, I, I mean joe girardi's kind of being an ass here saying that oh, it was not my job description to to run a good a farewell tour isn't that exactly what you just did with uh, Jeter all of last year and and Mariano Rivera and and give me a break he asked A Rod asked to play third base tomorrow and he said no I'm trying to win ball games like who are you kidding with some of the players you're running out there I mean this just seems I know it's 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 whatever his whole second half of his career A Rod's been shit on so it's fitting that he goes out this way I think we're a society where there's certain people that it's permissible to shit on like we. 
we actually think that like we can totally destroy this person, this scapegoat in society. You know, you're supposed to be nice. You're not supposed to be a bully. And everyone's like, bullying's bad. It's very bad. But then they always pick this player that's the bad guy. And Bonds was the bad guy for a while. Um, yep. People could shit on. And A-Rod's the perfect bad guy. He's a perfect bad guy for a few reasons. One is he's just socially he's socially inept. So, he's not self-aware. I mean, he's, he's already a, a punching bag, and then he's doing photo shoots where he's kissing himself in the mirror. Right. I mean, he's just very not – he's not self-aware. Right. At least Bonds was kind of a dick, and he'll admit that as much himself these days. Yeah, Bonds was kind of a dick, but A-Rod, I don't think he's a dick. I just think he's just kind of a, a weird guy who's not weird in a funny, quirky, cool way. Right. He's weird right. in like a – a, a way that people would mock. He, yep. I don't. A Rod has not committed crimes. He's not a bad guy. He's not beat up women. He's not, you know, embezzled money. He's not. He's not. I don't even think he's had a DUI. I, I mean, the guy has really done nothing. Took some roids like every fucking other person, and his first test was leaked illegally. He participated, I believe, in a voluntary thing just so baseball could get a gauge on it, and then somebody leaked that he did it, and I think he did it subsequently too. But. I mean, A-Rod's not even a bad guy. I mean, the New York Post had this thing when he's at a strip club, and it said Stray Rod. He was just photographed at a strip club. I mean, big deal. This guy's basically done nothing illegal. He's not a criminal. He's not some sort of abuser. He's a dude who did some roids, was a great athlete, got crazy paid. He was the highest paid guy ever, and people resent that. But he was also a great player. And I just think it's really small time. And I think, you know, if you look back historically, like, at people like Joe Torre, who's supposedly so dignified – that, like, the fact in his book he threw A-Rod under the bus and sucked up to Jeter. And, I don't know. Maybe people don't give a shit. But I, I feel like that shows, like, a small person. Like, the Tory and Girardi are, like, they're cowards. You know what I mean? Just, oh. like, like they're going to suck up to Jeter because that's – everybody likes Jeter. And I know, you know, Jeter was a great player and a good guy and deserves whatever. But he was also a cool guy. He knew how to handle the media. He had a good personality. He was likable. And so, fine. You know, he deserves what he got. But that's what I think about Joe Tory and – and Joe Girardi, and I just, I don't, I never really liked those guys anyway. Joe Torre, you know, for not bunting against Schilling is unforgivable, but he still has respect, and, and I just, you know, I think A-Rod was one of the greatest players of all time, deserved to be honored as such, but I don't believe in that honoring the shit anyway. I mean, I think, so all right. that said, I, I kind of think, like, you could boom or whatever anyway. Like, nobody's entitled to shit. Jeter? The fuck Boston was giving him a celebration? That was the stupidest fucking thing ever. If I'm Boston, I'd say, fuck you. We hate you. You're the enemy, okay? I don't care how great he is. You don't deserve some extra thing. You know what you get for being great? You get the adulation of your own home fans, and you get a huge amount of money and a huge amount of you know, celebrity and, and love from the game. You don't owe it extra. You don't owe an extra farewell tour. That shit started with Cal Ripken. That shit was fucking embarrassing. Yeah, I mean, it's Boston. It's funny you mentioned that because they I know that he hit the ball out of, what was it, Arroyo's mitt or whatever, A-Rod, but uh, they they refuse to give him any sort of celebration, and it's literally his last game is in Fenway. I mean, it's not... It's, no, the, he's the Red Sox shouldn't, though. The Red Sox shouldn't. The Red Sox have no obligation, but it was just... I agree. It was cowardly that they did it for Jeter. Right. But I'm just saying, that was like in the middle of the year. Like, this is literally his last game, and they refused to do any any acknowledgement. But the Hall of Fame, by the way, I've never been one to care too much about that stuff. But it's a, just a total farce with no Bonds, A-Rod, or Clemens. I mean, who cares? Who would even get worked up over a vote in the Hall of Fame? I mean, that's just ridiculous. Yeah, it, it's all just a bunch of fucking dickheads deciding. I mean, you know, the number, the stats are in the board. I mean, you, you, you know, again, we, I'm sure a lot of these guys use drugs that we don't know about. 
And it's just, I, again, I, I mean, the whole thing, it's Bud Selig's fault. I mean, he wanted to, if he wanted to crack down in 98 when those guys' heads were like beach balls and they were hitting 70 home runs after the strike <laughs> that he was part of, he could have done it. And then he fucking scapegoats A-Rod said, A-Rod, shame the game. I mean, you know, look, this is just like politics. It's just the same shit that you deal with, and it's obviously a disgrace. But people know. I think some people don't. There's like the fucking sheep that just say, A-Rod's a terrible guy. And then I said, well, what has he done that's so bad? And they're like, he lied to the public about using steroids. Who gives a fuck, right? Two, it's like, what did he actually do that's like really evil to harm somebody else? They couldn't come up with one thing, and yet, like, they hate him so much. You know who people love who's in the Hall of Fame? Kirby Puckett. Kirby Puckett was, like, sexually assaulting women before he died. People love that dude. I mean, it's just like, there's no rhyme or reason to this shit. None at all. Yeah. Well, I'm glad we got to talk about that. I hope A-Rod hits three bombs tonight. I hope frankly. he does too. I, I, I actually like A-Rod. He's the reason they won the 2009 World Series, by the way. And uh, people like to forget that, but it's actually true. Yeah, he had a monster postseason. All right, man. Is that it? You got you know, not much uh, politics to talk the about. The only politics thing I will say is Donald Trump is such a fucking idiot. Just shut the fuck up. Do you understand that Hillary Clinton just got busted for actually giving favors to people, like State Department favors, like appointments and meetings with people for people who donated to her foundation? Do you realize how corrupt that is to be the Secretary of State running the State Department and saying, hey, we'll do these state, these government favors for you for our rich donors to our foundation? That's the reason she had the email server. She didn't make a mistake. Oh, I didn't realize. Oh, I didn't know. No, she had no permission to do it. She never asked permission. She did it to avoid scrutiny for this kind of corruption that has now come out as a fact. Unfortunately, that shit is buried for a couple of reasons. One is because all these outlets are so cowardly, they don't want to report on her negative because they're so scared of Trump. And two, because he says the dumbest fucking thing saying, oh, you Second Amendment people can solve this. Shut the fuck up. If you just didn't say a goddamn word, you'd probably be winning. There's scandal after scandal. She got busted for lying. She's... Everybody knows that everything she does is corrupt, and yet you are such a moron. You cannot just shut your goddamn mouth for a month. And now he's going to get landslide, and all this corruption and all these neocons, these warmongers are flocking to Hillary. This is a disaster. It is a disaster. They are rehabbing the reputations of people who supported torture and aggressive war and the deaths of millions of people. And, and for what? Because this guy's such an idiot, he makes it so that nobody's even looking, that there's no scrutiny for her. She hasn't given a press conference in like eight months. No one's ever asked her, like, what's up with the emails? What's going on with it? No one asked her because she hasn't given a press conference. She's running for president. She's the favorite. But that guy is such an idiot. Just shut the fuck up. Don't say anything for a month. But it's too late. I mean, we'll see. I may draw close again. But just don't be a fucking idiot. All you got to do is just be quiet for a bit. But he just That's what God that's what got him this far is he's he's incapable of of of, of being that way so he's i mean that's capable you know. of shutting up he just is didn't realize there are scams right. coming out about her but it's it's not even the story the story is his veiled threat if you want to call it that i mean there's some reporting that he meant they can resist if someone goes to take their weapon whatever i don't want to get into like the whatever it was just a dumb thing to say and it just became a story that blocked out a very legitimate story about corruption about the person he's running against. But he, you know, and it's terrible for the country because she should be under serious fire in terms of coverage and scrutiny and legitimate standards. And it's very bad for everybody else if because he's such a moron and an idiot that she gets a free pass 
with all this bad stuff. It's very bad. If you're uh, actually consider yourself a liberal or a Democrat or a left-leaning person or a person that cares about not just a very a small special interests, this is very bad that he is p- providing this sort of screen for her to take on all the heat. He's like the guy who's speeding at 110 miles an hour, and then you can go like 90 behind him because you're like, if there's a cop there, this is the guy getting pulled over. And, and that's what's happened in this election. So that's all I got to say about that. Yeah, fair enough. I think according to Nate Silver, he, she's getting more and more favored to, to win. But Nate Silver is, is fucking off base. You can't even have Trump as fit, he had Trump as a favorite three weeks ago. Yeah, I know. We've been over. He hasn't, he hasn't but, exactly. I mean, but I, this guy, Nassim Tlaib, who I read on Twitter, he's like, that is not probably. You can't have a guy up 53-47 and then down 40-60 <laughs> right. a week later, then down 10-90 two weeks later. That's not. That's not it, how that works. All you're doing yeah. is following the headlines. You're not. That's not legitimate probability. You know, that's whatever he's doing is not actually the real probability. It's just that's that's something else. So, but we won't need to get, we don't need to get in that. All right, man. Good stuff. And um, yeah, I'm fired up for uh, actual football. There's a bunch of preseason games starting in an hour, I believe, yeah. or whatever that means. But but whatever. I'm but just, yeah, I know it's time for you to go to sleep. It's, exactly. It's, it's, it's midnight. Past bed. Past your bedtime. All right, let's take it easy, man. Take it easy, Dalton. Later, man. This podcast is brought to you by FanDuel.com. You can go to FanDuel.com, click the mic in the upper right-hand corner, use my code RWPOD, sign up now. Special offer for new users. Get a free six-month RotoWire subscription for just a $10 deposit. You must sign up with my promo code RWPOD. That's more than $60 in value for just $10. Don't forget to use my code RWPOD. FanDuel.com, where every day is a new season. That's F-A-N-D-U-E-L.com. Sign up today.